Hello and welcome to another installment of Bombs Away, a Minnesota Twins podcast. I'm your host, CJ Baumgartner, and we're talking all that is Minnesota Twins as they've gone through the first now six games of the season. They are now four and two after a disappointing series in Miami where they lose two out of three, winning the first game 11 to one and then faltering the next couple of games after. And it's kind of been the twins the last couple of years. Offense has a really big game and then the bats grow weirdly quiet for the next couple. Now the twins face two of the best pitchers that they could face all season long uh, in Sandy Alcantara and also Jesus Lazardo. You're just, it's going to be tough. You're going to have a tough time against, first of all, Alcantara, who just, I mean, you couldn't touch him. They they just weren't going to be able to do anything, especially with Buxton out of the lineup. Uh, You could see Rocco kind of conceding that game a little bit uh, to allow, because at the time, again, it was supposed to be a back-to-back. The Twins were supposed to have their home opener today. Instead, it got moved to Friday. So I could see in Rocco's mind, if you give Buxton that day off, he plays in the rubber match, and then you can play him on the back-to-back days for the home opener. But Either way, the Twins lose two out of three in Miami. It's a bit of a disappointing series, um, but I still think there's some positive things to take away from that. So first, let's start on the negatives. The negatives, as we talked about, is this offense can grow kind of cold. Again, now they've gone to four and two on the season. Not It's 108 win pace. So let's calm down for five seconds here. Uh, but for anybody overreacting about the first series, but... Uh, again, a disappointing couple of games, especially after the way the Twins jumped on Johnny Cueto early. He left with an injury. The Twins uh, bounced, uh, pounced rather, on a couple of their bullpen guys, and were just able to get a, a ten a ten run win, eleven to one. Now, the one thing for Miami is that they just left. They, I think they finished the game only pitching three guys and it allowed their bullpen to go the rest of the series, although they really didn't need them considering Alcantara pitched a complete game the next day and then Lozardo went seven innings. So either way, uh, still just an, a good mop-up job by the Miami bullpen, but either way, the Twins got win number one in that series and then the bats went really quiet and now Alcantara, whatever. I mean, you just chalk it up. He's a good pitcher. You move on. You live another day. And the one thing I've noticed in the first couple games, and that might have been the uh, the plan of attack, is don't let Alcantara get comfortable. Attack him early in the in the count because you don't want him to get ahead 0-2, 0-1 on you because then he, you're just in his paw anyways. So you might as well try and swing at that first pitch. And I don't mind that strategy necessarily. The downside of it is, is you end up kind of bailing out the pitcher sometimes. Maybe not bailing out, but you just end up putting him in a more advantageous spot if you're not getting on base and the twins weren't getting on base. So Alcantara not only was getting outs, but he was getting relatively easy outs. He didn't have to sweat. He did a complete game, nine innings in 100 pitches. I think Alcantara has six complete games in the last three seasons and no other pitcher has more than two Uh, complete game shutouts. And just goes to show you one Alcantara, just an animal and two, an animal in this specific day of pitching where you don't see complete games and complete game shutouts, let alone uh, he's a good pitcher. I'm going to gush over him. So, you know, you can see why the Marlins were willing to trade Pablo Lopez, considering they had Alcantara and Lazardo in their pitching staff. And they still have Max Meyer, who's a Minnesota kid. They still have uh, a Cabrera whose first name, Edward Cabrera, who, uh, who's a good pitcher as well. We talked about all these Miami pitchers, remember, in the offseason when we talked about the Twins potentially trying to trade for a starting pitcher. Pablo Lopez was the most obvious choice, but uh, a couple of the guys were thrown in the mix and just in case it wasn't him or maybe the Twins had uh, eyes on a bigger fish, unintended, uh, from Miami. But 
for the Twins uh, to pitch, to go against some of this tough pitching, it stinks. And you can throw your hands up in the air and say, whatever, we faced a good pitcher. At the end of the day, this is still a team that is trying to make the playoffs. So, you know, whatever, not overreacting to a loss. But at the same time, you know, you'd hope for a little bit better considering you still had Correa in the lineup. You still had Miranda and you still had uh, Larnick. I mean, outside of Buxton, you pretty much ran through the main court. Now, you didn't have Max Kepler, who hit a home run in the first at-bat of game one and then left in the fourth inning due to knee soreness. He hasn't played. Uh, he didn't play against Alcantara. No, he didn't play against uh, uh, Lazardo because he's a lefty. So he wasn't going to play even if he's healthy. It'll be interesting to see if Max Kepler is healthy because there's a left-handed corner outfielder in St. Paul who's gotten his season started off in four games, but gotten started off on the right foot who could be kind of knocking on the door, especially if Kepler's either not healthy or not producing. Anyway, uh, so the Twins go into game three and they have Duran. They have a pretty, they pretty much have their main bullpen guys to use. And then they face Lazardo. So they, he's a lefty and you're going to have to deal with that. The twins go with their right-handed heavy lineup. The twins have a lot of righties, whether it's Buxton, Correa, Farmer, uh, Solano, Jeffers. I mean, there's a bunch of uh, right-handed bats throughout the lineup. Michael A. Taylor, guys who you think that you can put out there and you think can do well in this situation. Now, I think Larnick has earned the opportunity to go lefty-lefty, considering he took a lefty reliever to dead center on Monday night, and Larnick has just had a good enough series. He got the one uh, RBI single off Lizardo in the seventh inning, seventh inning, seventh or eighth inning, um, because he just had just had a good approach. He was able to just inside-out swing, get that thing where he need to, slapping it the other way, but uh, Larnick has been a good development. Again, that's a positive, but I think in this final game of the series against Lazardo, it wasn't so much the twins, you know, you could look at the twins bullpen because of course Jax came in and had got a, had a couple guys get on base. Theobar came in and, and struck out a rise of all people swinging and then gave up a bomb to Solaire and game was pretty much over at that point. Uh, so again, the, really the, the blame in this series goes on, the bats and again you're facing two really good pitchers at the same time you have a good lineup as well and you talk about veteran depth you should at least be able to do a little bit better than you did and it gets to the question of how contrary you can throw it up you know they're good pitchers again as we've mentioned plenty of times already the thing about it is the twins lineup against lefties is a little concerning so left-handed pitchers like lizardo the twins weren't very good but it's one game, so you can't judge it off that. But if you do judge it off last season, the Minnesota Twins were not a great team when it came to facing right-handed pitching. So in 2022, in terms of weighted runs created, plus in terms uh, uh, which is a stat that again shows how much you got, uh, how much runs a team can create. 100 is the league average, and 100 is average, and then of course uh, it it kind of flexes it over 162 games, rounds it out per ballpark does all that kind of stuff. Um, the Twins weren't dead last, but they sat about 19th. So they're below average. Twins are below average in terms of average, OPS, whatever stat you want to use. The Twins were hovering around that 18 to 21 mark in the league against left-handed pitching. And again, if you're the Royals, it's not great, but you're not, you know, whatever, you're a rebuilding team. If you're the Twins who are trying to compete for a playoff position, 
you just can't do that. And of course, coming from 19 and 20, where the Twins hit lefties generally well, of course, more so in 2019, to see that drop off in 2021 and now 2022, and even in, I mean, one game in 23. So let's not overreact here, but just based on the prior knowledge and then based on one game in this new season, it's just going to be something that we're going to have to monitor. Now, Correa and Buxton being back should help, generally speaking, especially when you consider that the Twins' numbers against righties were factored in when it was the end of the season and the Twins were throwing out a double-A lineup. So whatever. But at the same time, it's just something to be concerned about. Anyway, I don't want to delve too much into the concerns with this team because they're 4-2 and and they've played well enough. And I think the pitching itself is enough reason for you to go, it's not ideal that we lost 2-3 or against Miami they're going to finish fourth in their division. Best case scenario, maybe the Phillies or uh, the Mets take a step back and they have a nice year and they can finish third. But there's not a lot of there's not a lot of Miami Marlins hype train that can build. Their pitching is great. Their lineup is a little hit or miss considering that Miami only scored one run in the first two games and then scored five in game three. So throughout that series, they only scored seven runs. The Twins technically outscored them. If you look at, they scored 12 runs, but again, they scored a bunch of them in game one, got shut out in game two, only mustered up two runs in game three. So it's 13 to two, but, or whatever, you get my point, 13 to seven. Uh, Either way. Uh, So with, uh, with this series, I think it just goes to show how great this pitching is. So now we've gone one time through the order and Dustin Morse of Twins Communications put this out uh, and he talked about uh, the stats of this Twins team one trip through the order plus with uh, Pablo Lopez making a start in Miami against his former team. Looked great, by the way. Uh, Gave up the one home run, but outside of that put his team, when he only gave up one run, over six innings, it puts your team in a great position to win a ball game. So looking uh, looking at the Twins' stats the first time through the lineup and trying to find the, the right tweet here uh, from Dustin Moore. So Twins starters to open the season. Uh, Pablo Lopez pitched five and a third, no earned runs, two hits. Gray had five innings, no earned runs, three hits. Ryan, six innings, one earned run, three hits. Malley, five innings, pitched one earned run, three hits. Of course, Maeda was able to pitch one run ball in his first start as well. Kenta was the one, question mark, Kenta and Malley, because of the injury history, both didn't have great springs, and people thought, oh no, you know, why are we Why are we even giving Kenta the time of day? Why isn't Bailey Ober here? And I understand that. I think Ober's a good pitcher, so I'm not trying to... I get what Twins fans who think that are saying. I'm not saying they're inherently wrong, but I am saying that we sometimes overvaluate spring training because it's the only sample size we get and get to the regular season and let's see what happens when everybody's in full game mode and nobody's working on things or testing things. It's full speed ahead. And Kenta Maeda had a great debut, not just with the results, not just the fact that he pitched uh, one run ball and put the Twins in a position to win the ball game. it's the fact that he got a lot of swings and misses. He got things to go where he wanted them to go, and it looked a lot more like 2020 Kenta Maeda more than it did 2021 Kenta Maeda. So that's a benefit for the Twins. Now, Kenta Maeda replicating being a Cy Young runner-up, I'm not saying that's happening, but if you can get somewhere in between 2020 and 2021 Kenta Maeda, that's a solid number five starter. And they can do something with that. Now, it stinks that Ober's got to be down in AAA, but 
to say that all five guys in the rotation are going to be healthy all season long, it's just not going to happen. So the Twins rotation right now, really, really good. Pablo Lopez is looking phenomenal. He's looking every bit of the part of the, the guy that the Twins traded for. Now he faced the Royals and the Marlins, so not, you know, we'll see what happens when he faces a, a more dangerous lineup like the White Sox next week. Uh, he avoids the Astros, who are coming who are coming to target field for the home opener on Friday. Uh, but I'm going to be at the game on Saturday, by the way, so excited to see that matchup and to see Joe Ryan pitch. But I think the Twins rotation one way through the order, it's that picture of LeBron. I saw this on Twitter. Uh, it's a picture of LeBron uh, after the trade deadline in 2018 with Cleveland. And it's just that we got an effing squad now. And that's pretty much what it is because this is the first time I've been legitimately excited about a Minnesota Twins rotation one through five. Now, Barrios has always been a guy to, to talk about. Maeda has always been up there. And... Again, Joe Ryan was exciting. Sonny Gray was a good get. But now to get this rotation one through five is every single night you go out there and this and you think this guy has a this guy could pitch well enough to win us the game. Is it wasn't Bundy or Archer where it's like, please, just can you get through four innings without blowing up? Can you just do that? It's not a Matt Schumacher. There's no it's not even and I love Kyle Gibson at more than most people. But again, Kyle Gibson, there's just a please just don't have three innings of like eight run ball. Can you not do that? And the Twins have nobody on this team who you're scared of blowing up at any point. Everybody who goes out there for the Twins rotation. And by the way, even if they call up Ober or Louis Varland, there's not like a, oh, geez, this guy is not it. Like this is, you know, there's not, it's not the Twins trying out Homer Bailey in 2020 i mean they're like this is a good rotation and it's legitimately exciting and the fact that there's actual depth in the minors so it is intriguing it is going to be fun to watch in terms of the starting pitching with this twins team and not only that we've already seen rocco start to trust the starters and let them go deeper into games which again is it a chicken or the egg? You know, is Rocco only letting his starters go deep because he didn't believe in them? Or is he only letting them go that deep because they felt like that was the best way to win? And did one way influence the other more and more? And again, I lean towards the camp of the Twins pitching just wasn't good. Like, you gotta you gotta pitch better to get deeper into games. Now, sometimes they held back Ryan a little bit, and Sonny Gray was injured and didn't perform as well as maybe his overall stats suggest. I'm not saying he had a bad season, but he wasn't particularly phenomenal to always consistently get into the seventh inning in each game. But you're seeing now that the Twins rotation is proving they're good. And when you prove that they're good, you can get that extra inning. You can get that third time through the order. It wasn't just that Rocco was taking a pitcher out after only getting four innings and 85 pitches. It's that it took them 85 pitches to get through the order twice and you're in the fourth inning. Like, you're, again, it's... And whether the pitch clock has helped with that, whether the bad lineups have played with that, I think when you look at the Twins rotation... You just have to say that they're going to get the benefit of the doubt more often than not because they're better pitchers. Sonny Gray is healthy. The Twins have more confidence in Sonny Gray with the full offseason with the Twins. Joe Ryan is another year older, and Pablo Lopez is here, and he's got plenty of talent. And then, of course, you have Kenta Maeda coming back, who's the veteran as well. Same thing with Tyler Malley. So, again, I think it's not necessarily that the Twins backed away from last year's approach because they thought it was wrong inherently and they they were seeing the error of their ways now it didn't work out for them obviously but it didn't work out because they didn't have good pitching and the pitching fell apart even like outside of a few high-end guys you know one through five or one through eight in the bullpen was not ideal 
And now you're seeing that depth play out a little bit more. Jorge Alcala, Giovanni Moran haven't had, you know, stellar starts to the season for Moran, but at the same time, Jorge Alcala, you know, the twin, the twins have a soft underbelly of the bullpen when it comes to Moran probably and Emilio Pagan. But when you look at the top six guys, there's definitely, there's definitely some there, there and some things that the twins can use. And again, if the starters go deeper, it means you're relying less on Duran. Duran isn't even pitched this week, which some people say they love, you know, some people are glad that he gets to rest. Some people are upset that he didn't get to pitch at all in the Miami series, uh, which again, I would have liked to see him pitch, but I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to lose sleep over something that's happening. I'm not going to be overly critical in the first week, uh, first full week of the season. So that's good for the twins. We talked about the lineups issues against righties or against lefties, excuse me. But at the same time, uh, it was nice to see Joey Gallo hit another bomb on Monday night. It was nice to see Trevor Larnick get his first home run of the season. And also nice to see Kepler get that first one too. Of course, as we mentioned earlier, left the game in the fourth inning. Uh, so I think uh, just some other news and notes. Uh, Kep- uh, Larnick, excuse me, has looked strong. Uh, through this first week and change. And again, I, I mentioned it all throughout spring training. Larnick, when healthy, is a very good major league player. He showed that, but he just was hurt and he was battling through some injuries, which is why his overall stats don't look as good. But give Trevor Larnick time and he will be a good player. And he got overlooked and almost wasn't going to make the team, except for Kirilov and Polanco getting hurt. And I'm really glad he did. I had the faith in Larnick to be able to have a good season. And it's fun to see that showing up. Now, again, it's only six games in. We're not trying to read too much into it. But it's highly encouraging. It's better than the alternative. And Larnick has been a big help getting into the cleanup spot right away, especially and contributing for the Twins. Ryan Jeffers uh, has only had two starts so far this season, but has had a couple RBIs in the first start and then hit a really good double the other way into the right center field gap against the Lazardo uh, on Wednesday. So it's nice for Jeffers, who maybe in this limited role, will be better for him, at least get him a little more experience and, again, learning behind Vasquez and just motivating him a little bit to know he's got to earn his keep. Not saying he wasn't motivated before, but you get that little extra motivation now that you're playing behind somebody or at least getting your starts. It's not as quite of a 50-50 as it was when Gary Sanchez was here. So the the other thing, seeing old friend Luis Arise, uh, still is weird seeing him in a Miami uniform. Fun to see Luis Arise play baseball again. Of course, he was Luis Arise. Struck out a few times, uh, which doesn't quite do. But again, uh, Arise is a good hitter against lefties, like we saw against Steel Bar. A little tough. But Luis Arise still does what Luis Arise does. You still saw the head shakes, the butt shakes. Uh, you know, looks like he's going to the bathroom when he steps out of the batter's box sometimes. Um, just overall, Luis Arise shenanigans that are fun. Uh, so it was good to see Luis arise again. Miami's got a good player. Uh, he's, I think he's top three in the National League in hits so far this season. He's going to be in the mix for a batting title as he should be. He's a good hitter. That's why the Twins had to give him up to get a good pitcher in Lopez. And by the way, two prospects. So Luis arise is going to be a good player. The Twins didn't fleece the Marlins. Like the Marlins didn't get caught holding the bag. They overpaid for a rise in my opinion, but they still got a good player. So it's not like they it's not like they got fleeced necessarily or got duped, hoodwinked, bamboozled, run amok, flat out deceived, led astray, all that good stuff. But some other things uh, uh, with Miami's ballpark, I, I noticed with the shadows is a 
again, I know target field has some shadows. I know every ballpark has some shadows you have to worry about, but dang, it felt like it really had an impact on those twins hitters. Like they were not prepared. Miami hitters are used to Marlins park or Lone Depot field or whatever it's called now, but Marlins park, uh, they're used to the hitting a little bit as Miami hitters uh, trying to deal with those shadows in the shade because the hitter is in the shade while the pitcher is in the sun and you're trying to track that ball. And you can just see the twins were a little off trying to deal with those shadows. I don't quite know how much it impacted. I didn't see, I don't think anybody asked them post game or at least I didn't see a quote about it, but I had to think that it impacted a little bit. Not the end of the day, end of the day. That's not an excuse, but it's just kind of the reality of trying to, to deal with that and, Again, playing a day game, the roof is open, and you'll have to deal with that. And you'll have to deal with that at Target Field as well during certain times uh, when you're playing day games. So it's going to be something they're going to have to uh, deal with throughout the season, but that's just what I noticed. Also, uh, through all three games, by the way, and it helped one team or the other, depending on the game, those umpires really like to give those outside strike calls. And I know the the Bally strike zone isn't necessarily the exact strike zone. And in fact, umpires actually are graded on a strike zone that's different than the one that's on TV uh, internally. So it's not an apples to apples comparison, but it really felt like they were given that outside part of the plate to all hit uh, to all pitchers in that series, but like picked which team they were giving it for in terms of the pitchers. I think I put out a video of Levon Hernandez and I'm like, what the heck is it with Miami that lets uh, some of these umpires just have a gracious outside part of the plate? Cause of course, Levon Hernandez in the playoffs had a bunch of strikeouts in a playoff game with the Marlins on a world series run. And some of those strikeouts were uh, atrocious atrocious umpiring in general has gotten better over the last 30 years in terms of strike zone but you know uh still not always not always perfect all right so let's take a look at the american league central standings i think that's pretty much my thoughts on the miami series my thoughts on the houston series is if we talk about the twins having to face good pitching it's not i mean it's not going away the astros are the defending world champs. They have a good rotation. They're also playing Giolito, and they're also playing Dylan Cease, and they're also playing Lance Lynn in the Chicago White Sox next week as well. So it doesn't necessarily get easier for the Twins uh, in terms of who they play in starting pitching. And in fact, the lineups get very, very uh, tougher when you're facing the Houston Astros lineup and then the Chicago White Sox lineup as well. So... We're really going to see now the twins got, they are four and two. If you talk about a road trip going four and two, the twins will take that every time you wish you could have gone five and one, but you know, whatever you play on there's you've played six games. There's still 156 more to go throughout the regular season. They all mean the same amount, but again, just we're trying not to lose sleep over too many losses while there's still like two feet of snow on the ground here in Minnesota. Anyway, the standings in the American League Central. And by the way, Minnesota Twins not in first place. It is, in fact, the Cleveland Guardians who are, have a 5-2 and two record. The Twins have a 4-2 and two record. Chicago White Sox 3-4. and four. Detroit is 2-5. and five. The Kansas City Royals are 1-6. and six. Kansas City is going to be bad. I think we talked about that last podcast. By the way, the Twins lead the American League in earned run average, um, all of baseball rather, with a 1.9 ERA, which is phenomenal, not quite sustainable, but again, this Twins rotation is going to be really, 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 really good. So now we'll get to see what happens when they face the tougher lineups of Houston and Chicago 
and also I think uh, uh, some other teams that have some better lineups throughout uh, throughout the month of April. I got to look and see who the Twins exactly play next weekend. Not that it matters too much. Uh, they go to New York next weekend for a four game series. So yeah, they're going to be facing some pretty dang good lineups uh, in the month of April. And then things get a little bit easier. They go to Fenway to take on the Red Sox. Then they host the nationals for three. So again, Boston and uh, Washington, not going to be very good this year. Then they have a three game series with the Yankees and thank you to major league baseball for getting the Yankees out of the way early this year, just playing two series in April. We can forget about it and move on. And then the twins wrap up the month of April against Kansas city with the four game series in uh, Minnesota. So, Twins home game gets pushed back. Really excited to see uh, them play in 50 plus degree weather instead of 30 plus degree weather. Uh, The new scoreboard is huge. And again, I'm going to go to the Twins game on Saturday. So I'm really excited to get to see all the new improvements to the stadium. I'm curious to see the new big mini and Paul, the the different scoreboards that they've put around the stadium. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at bombcj30. Want to post a lot about uh, the new stuff at the ballpark that I see. As I walk around at bomb CJ 30 at bombs away pod as well uh, on Twitter and bombs away podcast on Facebook is a good way to check in as well. Uh, so with the twins home opener getting delayed, that didn't stop the St. Paul saints because they played their home opener today against the Iowa Cubs. It was initially supposed to be played on Wednesday and then it got moved to Thursday because there was a bunch of snow everywhere because why do we live in this ice scape that is minnesota uh so the saint paul saints they end up losing 12 to 11 uh but the whole the whole thing in the season uh with saint paul is that they're gonna on paper they're a really good triple a team because in fact they're like a quadruple a team you look at guys like ed julian matt walner bailey ober louis varland there's just a up and down the, the twins lineup there's a whole bunch of guys that could make a case to be on the major league roster but because of solano and farmer and a couple of these other guys on the twins roster nick gordon they're not quite there and who do I think is the twin to get called up? Now, Ed Julian was a was a very trendy pick to make the team out of spring training, had a good WBC, had a nice camp. And the twins sent him down because he hadn't played any AAA up until this point. He's with St. Paul, and I think that was the right decision. And he's, through four games, has a 167 average. Again, he's got three hits, two of them home runs, if you're into that. So it's not all bad for Julian, but not quite the start you want through the first four games. But again, there's plenty more to get on the right track. But if there's a player you want to get excited about, and I think out of all the guys in St. Paul from the lineup to get called up, it's going to be Matt Walner. Now, through the first four games, he has 17 at-bats. He has a 353 average, an OPS of 1154, one home run, and six RBIs. He made his major league debut last season from Forest Lake, Minnesota, played college ball at Southern Mississippi, found his way back to Minnesota in the Twins minor league system, and made it, again, made his big league debut last year. And it'll be, because he's the guy that kind of gets forgotten in all this. Trevor Larnick almost got forgotten, and he's a former first-round pick. So with Kirilov and Larnick were the two big lefty bats that, for the Twins prospects that took a lot of the conversation. And then Ed Julian got a lot of talk as well. But Matt Walner could get himself into a nice little role. Because again, if Alex Kirilov isn't ready to go, it means Joey Gallo has to keep playing first base. And it means Larnick is in left field. Right field is manned by Max Kepler. But again, if Max Kepler isn't 
ready to go. And I think if he does have to go to the IL, I think Max Kepler, uh, I think Matt Walner is an easy call up to replace Kepler because one, he has already been up into the big leagues. He's been playing well early in the season and he probably deserves it more than anything based on how much time he's had to sit and cook in the minors. Now, again, what the option question and, you know, if you're going to only bring him up for four days, is it worth it? Whereas, you know, if you want to bring him up, do you want to make sure he has a chance to stick? But I think if you call up Matt Walner, it's not just, it's better than putting out Willie Castro. Willie Castro is fine. He can play a lot of positions. He's a nice depth piece, but you don't want Willie Castro to be starting three. You don't want Willie Castro to be starting somewhere in all three of the games that you're playing against Houston. I think if the, the choice is to put Max Kepler on like the 10 day IL with knee soreness. And again, to be retroactive to when he first got hurt. So he'd already have gotten like three days by the time the twins would actually make a move. So maybe that again also goes against the case for Max Kepler, uh, not uh, Matt Walner, not getting called up and just keeping Max Kepler on the bench and just keeping him day to day. But I think Matt Walner deserves a call up at some point. And not just that Max Kepler only has one hit so far throughout the season, only in four games, but still uh, if he plays through the first month and doesn't look right, I think you have to pull the plug early on Kepler. I know there's a lot of history. I know that, you know, I know that, you know, again, there's history. The twins don't necessarily like to cut bait on guys. The twins try to trade him. And the reason that they didn't trade him is because they didn't think that they got any value realistically to help the big league club. You weren't just going to trade Max Kepler for a single A pitcher like you did Gio Urshela. You wanted to get a little bit more, and if you weren't going to do that, you were going to hold on to him because he was relatively cheap, and he protected you in case Larnick, Kirilov, Walner weren't ready to go. Well, now Larnick feels like he's got a home, and Kirilov isn't ready yet, but Walner at least has had a nice first week, which is encouraging. So I think Max Kepler, if he doesn't play well in the first month and he's hurt or both, you, there's no obligation to stick with Max Kepler because you need to put a guy like Walner up there and play. Now, the, the flip side is what if Walner stinks that, and now you're you know down two options. You know If you send down Kepler, he's going to get claimed on waivers. So you're losing him for nothing. So maybe that's the case is maybe you'd rather send down Willie Castro and call up Matt Walner, which could also happen as well. Uh, if you think Max Kepler is going to be fine, but also, again, you want you want Walner to be up there and, and and playing, and maybe Kepler goes down into a platoon role, and then Walner ends up getting more of the starts. Anyway, it's a, again, there's a lot of like chess pieces. There's a lot of moving pieces around the board, especially when the Twins want to be multi-positional. So you can't just necessarily think of one or two guys. You also have to think of guys who can play multiple positions like Gallo. Like what if Kirloff comes back? Then Gallo gets pushed to the corner outfield and then Larnick likely gets pushed to right. So you have Gallo and left, Larnick and right. You know, how does that necessarily work out? So again, uh, there's a lot of moving pieces with this Twins lineup. I just have a soft spot for Walner. I just hope he gets a chance at some point this season. I think he will. Uh, Walner profiles a lot like Kirilov, a lot of doubles, a lot of home runs. You know, strikeouts will be up there, but Walner's a prototypical like four through six hitter. He's a prototypical middle, at least that's what he profiles as, as a middle of the order, maybe more down towards the five through seven spots in a batting order. Anyway, uh, some other things uh, to talk about. Uh, I think we might've hit the main beats so far. Uh, the Wichita Wind Surge, double-A affiliate, of course, have Brooks Lee, the Twins' number one prospect by MLB.com, by The Athletic, uh, a whole bunch of places. It's either 
uh, Royce Lewis or it is uh, Brooks Lee. But since Lewis tore his ACL, Brooks Lee had a nice year last year in his first season in pro ball. There's just a lot more upward momentum towards Brooks Lee. I think he's got a very good, he's got a above 50% chance not above 75, but an above 50% chance of making the Twins roster at some point this season. He's starting in double A and they start their season tomorrow. Also, the Cedar Rapids Colonels and the Mighty Muscles in Fort Myers start their season. Cedar Rapids has Emmanuel uh, Rodriguez, which uh, I want to make sure I'm getting that name right because he's a big uh, uh, Twins prospect and I want to make sure I'm doing right Uh want to make sure I'm doing right by him. So I'm going to look that up uh, quickly. Yeah, Emmanuel Rodriguez uh, is the name. Uh, very big Twins prospect. He is just 20 years old. Uh, so again, like three years away from realistically getting to the majors, but at the same time uh, is somebody who people, in the words of Palpatine in, in uh, episode one of Star Wars, we're watching his career with great interest as he works his way through the low minors and tries to get his way up there. So he's starting uh, the season believe in Cedar Rapids in high A. Fort Myers is the low A ball affiliate in the complex league, and they call it the complex league because it's all the spring training complexes for teams. Anyway, I think I've rambled enough. I think this has been another Bombs Away, a Minnesota Twins podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube as well. And we'll be trying to do podcasts after every series, or at least maybe on off days, trying to find those times where it's good to record a podcast and can sit and digest a little bit of stuff without having to quite think, you know, about something that's happening or or quite get dated too easily. At the same time, it's still fun just to talk twins. It's fun that the major league season is back and ready to go. So again, bombs away, Minnesota Twins podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.